1: I'm
3: all right, Tom. How are you? you hey, lucky, Sumner. <laughs> Ciao, Tom. How are you today? <laughs> <That's> a good <laughs> question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian, Jonah Pody and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right.
0: The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation.
5: this is Gretchen Whitmer and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program
3: and welcome back everybody uh, as we roll into the second hour of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner program I want to say thanks again to the guests in the uh, last hour uh, starting with uh, Chief Alvin Barron from the Southfield Police uh, Department and uh, hopefully we'll get uh, Chief Barron back and we'll, we'll talk some more. But coming up in the uh, 11 o'clock hour, we're going to talk with uh, Detective Brian Fountain from the Detroit Police Department. We're going to talk some more about police training. And I, and I certainly want to say thanks to uh, um, my co-host for some of these uh, interviews this morning, um, my favorite uh, Oakland County activist, Pam Gerald, who helped uh, line up Nancy Wang from Voters uh, Not Politicians. We were talking with her about redistricting and uh, also uh, Chief Barron. And she will rejoin me at 11 o'clock when we uh, take up our uh, conversation with Detective Brian Fountain. But this hour, we're going to talk about um, Vaccine deserts, which simply means places where vaccines aren't as available to people. And uh, from a conversation I had uh, earlier this morning with Julie Swan from uh, North Carolina State um, and an organization called Informs, and that's coming up straight ahead. (music) Hey, welcome back everybody. This is the Tom Sumner program and as we uh, uh, continue the fight against COVID-19 and vaccines are rolling out, a new term is uh, emerging called vaccine deserts, which simply means places where supplies aren't uh, as accessible as we would like them to be. around the world and and we're going to talk about that a little bit with uh, my guest this hour is a uh, professor and department head for the edward p fitz department of industrial and systems engineering at uh, is it north carolina state julie that's correct and uh, her name is julie uh, swan um, in 2009, she was on loan to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention as a science advisor for the H1N1 pandemic response. So she knows a little bit about this uh, responding to pandemics. Her name is, uh, as I mentioned, Julie Swan, and she joins me by phone. Hi, Julie. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much.
3: Um, Do vaccine deserts show up every time there's a rollout of a vaccine when we've had a pandemic like H1N1 or now COVID-19?
1: Great question. Of of course, we haven't had a whole lot of pandemics where we have had a vaccine, but as you point out, uh, there was H1N1 about 10 years ago. Uh, We do have vaccine deserts anytime there's some kind of new product, which you have, for a pandemic, uh, you know, we we certainly have programs to get vaccine to uh, many places around the world, but the gap in where vaccine is available is particularly important when you have a new product that's in short supply, as we do have with the COVID nineteen vaccines.
3: And is it in short supply? Just because it it's rolling out and being used up as fast as it can be made, is that the problem or is it a distribution problem?
1: It's a little bit of both. So we have that the mo- most developed countries in the world, and including the United States and others, have uh pre-purchased a lot of vaccine uh you know the u.s government has paid for a lot of vaccine we invested across multiple manufacturers before we knew which one was going to work which is a great strategy of course in the united states we do have enough for uh the people our residents and citizens in the united states Um, there are uh, also, in addition to this problem of, of where vaccine is, you know, with respect to the countries that are higher income and, and those that are not, what we also have is that a lot of the world's supply does come from India. About 17% of the world's supply of COVID-19 has, uh, vaccine has been produced in India. And in February, when India was hit very strongly by the pandemic again, uh, it stopped exports. And India is also now focused on vaccinating its own population. So that has led to additional concerns about the total supply available of the vaccine.
3: There have uh, been discussions um, around the world and in the U.S. about the uh, U.S helping to supply vaccines to places that don't have vaccine. Um, Is there any concern that the U.S. can meet that demand and continue to supply vaccine for the people in the U.S. that aren't vaccinated yet?
1: I don't think at this point in our vaccine rollout that we're really struggling with having a sufficient supply. In the U.S., we did have time periods where we went through that earlier this year. But at this point in time, we have enough doses to vaccinate everyone. In in fact, we had committed to purchasing more than enough doses to vaccinate our entire population. In the U.S., the struggle is now about increasing uptake reducing access, making sure we get as many people vaccinated as possible. The U.S. has recently committed uh, donating more uh, vaccine to other places around the world. The thing is, is that even in the U.S., we can't be safe unless people around the world are safe from the pandemic. The virus does not know country borders
3: and and that's something um interesting to explore a little bit because i know i don't understand it as well as as maybe i should and i can only assume that there are a lot of people who don't if we're fully vaccinated uh in the u.s which presents its own special problems but if we become fully vaccinated in the u.s um aren't we somewhat immune to it from reinfecting people in the U.S.?
1: Um, Well, that's a great question. You know, there there are a couple of things. Um, One, we do know that um, cases can break through the vaccine. So far to date, those have largely been mild cases um, where they've not had significant impact. Um, But the bigger concern is that the more virus that's circulating worldwide, then the greater the chance it has to mutate, the more opportunities it has to mutate. And as it continues to mutate, as all viruses do, but as it continues to mutate, there's a greater chance that these mutated versions of it can break through the vaccines that we've had. And, and that is something that we're seeing worldwide. There have been some variants of the strain, uh, variants of the virus that have been identified around the world. Uh, there was one identified in the UK, one in Brazil, South Africa, India. And as these have uh, come out over time, we see that some of them are better able to get through the vaccine than others. So that is one concern. There are other concerns as well. Of course, um, protecting uh, lives and and thinking about the relationship of those mutations to what it would mean for lives in the US. There's protecting lives worldwide and and caring for those who who don't have uh, sufficient resources as the US does in other health rollouts for HIV, malaria, other kinds of things. There are also economic considerations if the world is still dealing with the pandemic, then it becomes more difficult to produce products, to transport products. And our supply chains are global. Uh, it also makes it harder for people from the U.S. to travel uh, and to do business travel and personal travel. So in addition to the, the lives that are at stake, there are other implications for the U.S. as well.
3: With the the idea of... of uh variants breaking through the vaccine i noticed that anthony fauci and and other people who have been commenting on this are not they're becoming less likely to say that the vaccine prevents you from getting the disease they're more likely to describe it as um, protecting you against severe symptoms and death um, can, can you, how common is it for people to get, um, COVID-19 after they've been vaccinated?
1: It's a great question. It's one that scientists are working hard to understand. We know a little bit about it, uh, already from some cases that I'll describe. Um, but one reason we can't completely answer that question, is that after they get the vaccine, most people are not getting tested for the disease. So if they uh. get a mild version, a little sniffly nose, or maybe they just feel a little tired, they may not even know that they have COVID-19. So where we where we have seen it, uh, there is a case of uh, some, some baseball players, some Yankees, and um, even after being vaccinated, uh, several of them, uh, got the disease. The reason we know that is they're being tested all the time, you know, in the right. in the sports industry to stay safe. They have to continue being tested. And so it was very mild forms of the disease. Certainly none of them died from it, but we do know that they got it. Um, And so, you know, that's uh, one reason that we we do still need to be careful. And even if someone is vaccinated, it is much, much less likely that they would have severe disease, uh, hospitalization, death, and that is all great. Um, It is still possible that they could get the disease. They could transmit it to others, although that risk is lower for people who have been vaccinated to acquire the disease. Uh, And that's, you know, one reason for the recent guidance around masks. Um, But we we do know that there are some cases of it breaking through, but that the the vaccines are still largely effective against severe disease. And that's what you care about. We get colds every day, right? Or every year.
3: And and we hear about... um cases of um, of these variants um, and the vaccines being largely effective against the variants. It's been one of the things uh, that has shown as good news over the last several months as these variants have made their way to the U.S. from other countries. But um, as it continues to evolve or mutate, Um, and and different variants uh, are on the rise, how difficult is it for the creators and and, uh, manufacturers of vaccines to adjust vaccines to new variants?
1: Great question. Uh, It's probably a little bit easier than we think about. Um, the The vaccine manufacturers are already working on that. Uh, They're doing a couple of different things. So they certainly are testing their vaccines against the variants. So we've seen some reports, um, for example, out of Pfizer and Moderna, where they've tested them against different strains and and shown how effective they are there. There have been reports about AstraZeneca, which is not one of the ones we have um, approval for here in the United States, but it is being used in Europe. We've seen
3: reports of that as well. More about vaccines and vaccine deserts with Julie Swan from North Carolina State, straight ahead.
2: From the Tom Sondershaw.
6: Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show.
3: More about vaccines and vaccine deserts with Julie Swan from North Carolina State, straight ahead.
1: One of the things about some of these new vaccine technologies is that they, they these new technologies make it easier to change the underlying strain of vaccine that's going into it Um, so the manufacturers are already starting to look at that we also have manufacturers and scientists who are looking at making universal uh, coronavirus vaccines that could protect against not only the current variants that we know about but also future ones that would really be a great advance of course um, right now, it is too early to switch the production of our uh, vaccines to ones that um, are are different based on on new variants. It, it's too early for that. We know that these are effective against preventing severe disease. In, in fact, they are among the most effective vaccines that that we have. Um, and of course, there are so many in the world, Uh, who do need um, to be vaccinated to protect their, their lives and and livelihood that that's really the focus for the moment. But eventually we, we may have booster shots that would be used to um, boost uh, immunity as well as potentially adding in these protections against additional
3: variants. You mentioned uh, Pfizer and, and Moderna, and those are both two shot protocols. Um, Why was Johnson & Johnson able to release a vaccine that could be administered with only one shot? Uh, uh,
1: So it's fascinating to look at the, uh, the vaccine production process and the technologies associated with them. When the strains of virus were first sequenced back in January of 2020, you immediately had vaccine manufacturers starting to look at producing vaccine. They chose different pathways. They, they each had their own research and, and own vaccines that were going on. Pfizer and Moderna chose a pathway that's based on the mRNA technology. Johnson Johnson chose a different pathway based on some work it had done for Ebola vaccines. Um, And then even within the mRNA category, Pfizer and Moderna chose um, different recipes is is one way to think about it. Different formulations, different um, production processes for for baking that cake. Um, And, you know, different ways of creating it uh, lead to different kinds of formulations and ways of giving it. Um so that is, you know, the the a short version of why the Johnson and Johnson is a single dose. Single dose is very attractive from the standpoint of production and logistics and distribution.
3: Well sure. You don't have
1: to keep yeah, right? I mean it's much easier. You don't have to keep up with when someone had the first dose and what they had. It's also easier because of the cold chain associated with it, refrigeration, not not freeze or deep freeze. And so it is very attractive. Johnson & Johnson has agreed to help supply COVAX uh, worldwide with vaccines for other countries. And, of course, it is still being used here in the United States. All of the vaccine manufacturers are also looking at other ways of, of um, administering their vaccine, whether this is through an oral uh, method or a pill, uh, they are looking at ways to expand how their vaccine can be stored. We've seen some recent advances in that area with Pfizer to make it easier to distribute and administer vaccines, both in the United States and worldwide, uh, especially since not everywhere has the same cold chain infrastructure that we have in the US.
3: You know, I can't help thinking, Julie, when you talk about uh, taking vaccines orally, um, remembering my experience as a, as a child getting the uh, polio vaccine in a sugar cube.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah,
3: that's right. And, that would be
1: much easier than getting a needle or two. Right?
3: Wouldn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and
1: eventually we may have a Band-Aid that delivers vaccines.
3: We're not there yet, but but maybe we will is is there a um what what's going on with this idea that we may need to have booster shots
1: well, there are a couple of reasons that that we may need booster shots. One is that immunity may decline over time. So again, this is something that that scientists are uh, studying now. And right now, the immunity associated with uh, the vaccines, uh, a recent report came out that suggested that immunity is long-lasting, so they're they're looking at the antibodies uh, that the body is producing, and so far those are, are still in, in high supply you know, 10 months later, uh, according to the data that we have, but there is a little bit of a decline, and, and certainly this could happen uh, over time, as it does with many diseases. Um, And then in addition to that, there are the variants. And so, you know, we get seasonal flu vaccines that change a little bit every year that adapt to the new variants that are around. So these are two different reasons that we could need a booster shot periodically. There are other vaccines where we have booster shots. In some cases, it may be after five years, for example. Um, and, and certainly kids also get booster shots for some of theirs. You know, you you forget if you're not a kid or a parent of a, a small child right now, how many vaccines uh, children receive in their first five years. But booster shots just help us uh, increase our immunity and make sure that it continues to stay high against that particular virus.
3: And does the need for, um, the potential need for booster shots um increase the longer it takes for other areas around the world to become vaccinated?
1: You're exactly right. The longer it takes us to get people around the world protected, then the more variants that could arise. And that may mean we need more vaccines in the United States. So you're exactly right. If we Give more away now. We might need less in the future.
3: And, and that being the case, um, what would happen? Uh, how would uh, people be notified? And, and do we have any idea what kind of a time frame we're looking at? Would it be an annual booster? Um, would it become like we do with flu shots every year during a particular season, like in the fall, for example? Um, when these types of viruses tend to uh surge um, mm-hmm. is is that what we would experience, do you think? Well, the
1: Pfizer CEO has suggested that people may need a booster shot after one year, but it really will depend on what happens as we continue to follow people that receive the vaccine in December 2020, January 21, or even during the trials earlier than that. Um, those will be continued to be followed we'll look at how their immune system is reacting. We may find that um, that not everyone in the population responds the same. We may find that a 20-year-old's immune system responds differently than a 60-year-old's. So what, what will happen is that as this evidence grows, we'll have Uh, scientific advisory boards who will meet and make a recommendation and that recommendation will be very well publicized you'll see it in uh, in the print newspapers the web news stories radio shows like your own and then people will be told you need a booster shot uh, either one year or three or five after you received your initial one. It may be something that happens more in the fall, as you say, um, although we do see that the SARS-CoV-2 virus uh, continues to circulate in other months of the year as well. We've certainly seen surges at different times in the United States, perhaps largely driven by behaviors and um, how people are gathering together and then going back and, and spreading it. Um, so, but we will we will eventually have more information about uh, what frequency uh, we would need to continue to get vaccinated. And then it would become something like, like, just like something else with influenza, which is yearly, or pneumococcal, which is every five years.
3: Is the level of immunity different for people who have had COVID-19 and recovered, and people who've been vaccinated, and both?
1: Oh, great question. If I could answer that, I could probably make a million dollars today.
2: Uh, <laughs>
1: I, have, yeah, I have seen some preliminary evidence suggesting that um, getting the Pfizer or Moderna vaccines was a little bit better than um, the immunity that comes from having had the disease and uh, recovering, uh, and that maybe the immunity associated with, um, you know, some other vaccines might be really close to that, but not quite the same. Uh, There's a lot of variability in that. It does depend on um, whether someone had a mild case or a severe case. Um, you know, what someone's underlying immune system is and other kinds of things. But right now, um, even if you've been vaccinated, the guidance is that, excuse me, even if you have recovered from the disease, the guidance is that you should also be vaccinated. And we even have seen a small number of cases where someone who seems to be a, a long hauler of COVID-19 and, and continued. Continued to have some side effects after they got a vaccine that that those went away. Uh, of course, I encourage anyone to speak with their physicians or other healthcare provider if they have any particular concerns or particular conditions, as that guidance may be uh, you know specific to an individual.
3: Now, I've I've heard it um, explained that that literally every time a disease like COVID-19 is transmitted from one person to another, there is to some degree a variant created. Um, That it's always a little different as it jumps from person to person. Is there a timeline for when the U.S. and other countries should help countries that don't have vaccines get vaccinated? Is is there a a ticking clock on the... um, evolution of, of variants?
1: Well, what we know about the SARS-CoV-2 virus is that it seems to mutate at a slightly slower pace than influenza, which, which mutates pretty quickly, and we see new strains every year. Um, we do know that. Um, we have seen significant mutations in the United States as well as in uh, countries worldwide. I, I know that there was a mutation that was identified in California. Um, we're not sequencing every single uh, sample of the virus that we're taking in the United States. We're doing a sample of those. Um, we have increased our sequencing, so we know more about what variants are circulating now than what we knew say, a year ago. Um, in terms of the timeline for acting worldwide to help other countries, I think that timeline is immediate and, and really, you know, almost yesterday, if you will. Um, there are certainly people dying worldwide. There are people being hospitalized. There are children being orphaned. Um, you know, what we have seen in the news in terms of what's happening in India with hospitals being overwhelmed and insufficient oxygen supply and people dying at home because they cannot find a hospital bed. That is also happening in other countries. Um, India has so many people that it has attracted a lot of that attention. Sure. It is happening in other countries in Southeast Asia. It's happening in South America. And you know what we know is that anyone who is still susceptible because they've not had the the virus or they've not had the vaccine, they are at risk for SARS-CoV-2 and they are at risk for these severe outcomes. This is unprecedented in the the lifetimes of most of us um, in terms of how many lives are lost, um, both of children who are at lower risk and of adults. And, You know, we've certainly experienced it here in the United States, and this burden is almost unimaginable to me and and perhaps to others in terms of what is happening worldwide. So we need to act now. The current administration has made some movement toward that. We need that. I think we need more. We also need to act for the long term. This problem with the production of vaccines in India that was, halted because or or even diverted to meet the needs of India. One of the reasons that that is so um, important right now is that so much of the world's demand does depend on vaccine supply produced in India. And so I think over the longer term, we need to find ways to make sure that we can produce enough vaccine around the world, produce more in South America, produce more in other places, The other thing that's happening globally is that Russia and China are providing a lot of vaccines to countries around the world at free or or low cost. And so in addition to the the basic humanitarian need of wanting to save lives, we should also be thinking about um, the role that we play worldwide as a global leader.
3: Yeah, that's that's an important point, Julia. How much did the work that you and many others did with H1N1 and uh, SARS and and um, Ebola contribute to the development or the apparent speed with which the development of the vaccines we're using now for COVID nineteen occur?
1: the vaccines for COVID-19 are based on really decades of research. You know, this is not something that is as new as it may seem to the American public. Um, We've been developing new kinds of influenza vaccine for years. Some of these are already in approval. Uh, The Ebola vaccine was really an astonishing scientific marvel It was created and rolled out across West Africa, and I read reports that it was 97% effective at either blocking the disease or blocking severe disease, and that is just really a scientific marvel, but one that is based on decades of research. Uh, We're very fortunate to be at the point where, now this this far away from when the virus first appeared that we do have working vaccines with really high effectiveness and that are being produced worldwide. So that is a, a really a positive thing uh, and, and based on contributions by scientists in both academia and companies and governments even uh, worldwide for many years. And so I am thankful
3: for that. Is there anything special that uh, John Q. Public in the U.S. and and in other countries around the world uh, can or should do to help encourage uh, the distribution of vaccines in vaccine deserts?
1: Oh, great question. Um, So, you know, there's several different ways. Certainly, I I always encourage people to contact their representatives in government, uh, especially senators, uh, congressional representatives, uh, the the White House. You can also give money to organizations like UNICEF that supplies vaccines uh, for children, both for COVID-19 and other diseases, uh, much of which has been disrupted in this last uh, six months to a year. Um, there are other organizations as well, World Health Organization and others. COVAX is leading the world's efforts. That's C-O-V-A-X, if anyone wants to go and, and look it up. It is an alliance of several different organizations um, working worldwide to make sure that um, uh, lower and middle income countries around the world have access to vaccines. Um, so I, I certainly encourage people to think now that, you know, especially that people in the U.S. have had that chance to be vaccinated, to really think about what this impact is worldwide. There are many countries around the world that still have gotten no vaccines, even for vaccinating their medical doctors and nurses.
3: And could you explain to me just just briefly, this is a little parenthetical, but what INFORMS is?
1: Oh, INFORMS, the Institute for Operations Research and Management Sciences. It's a professional organization that is my professional organization, you know, where I I do a lot of my work. And, you know, management science is the... The math and the science and behind systems and decision making. We do a lot of data and analytics. Um, Influence has thousands of members around the world, many of whom look at health systems and supply chain problems. And so, um, certainly, many members of Informs and other organizations have been working domestically and worldwide to help solve this pandemic.
3: Julie, um, we're we're almost out of time, and it's been an honor and a privilege to have you uh, share your expertise and experience with me and our listeners this morning. And I, I really want to thank you for that, Julie Swan from North Carolina State, and uh, and and the group uh, informs. Um, but Julie, uh, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they might find out more about what we've been talking about and what some good, trusted resources are.
1: Uh, that's a great point. Um, as we know, there is some misinformation out there.
3: No. Um, or, <laughs> yeah, you're you're kidding you're, with me, Julie.
1: <laughs> you're doing everything you can to counter it. um, for worldwide efforts, the world health organization is the international body that, that we are a member of and and many other countries around the world. That's a great place for information. Of course, you can find out more about this, um, from the centers for disease control and prevention. I, I can also pull together some of the articles that I think are really interesting about some of this work worldwide and, and put them out on our, our website. If anybody is interested in that, um, and if you search my name, you can pretty easily find it. Our COVID modeling group, uh, COVSIM, C-O-V-S-I-M, uh, has been doing work. Um, but certainly uh, look first at those trusted governmental and internationally recognized institutions for information about this topic. COVAX is another one, that alliance that I mentioned before. Well, are you- all great resources.
3: Uh, Julie Swan, um, with two N's, by the way, is uh, <laughs> is my guest. And, and, Julie, thank you so much for sharing your uh, time and expertise with me and the listeners this morning, and keep up the good work. Thanks, and
1: thanks for your interest in this topic, so important.
3: Take care. Once again, that was uh, Julie Swan, uh, who... In uh, 2009, was on loan as a science advisor for the H1N1 pandemic response at the uh, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. She is uh, from um, North Carolina State, and she is uh, also uh, she also works with a group called Informs, the Institute for Operations Research, and the Management. Sciences. And with that, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight. <music>
2: The Time Summer Program. The Time Summer Program. From the Time
3: This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
8: Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
0: Milestones are never really recognized right away. It takes, uh, oh, 50, 60 years before people realize what an achievement it is. Like, um, take, for instance, tobacco and uh, the discovery of tobacco. It was discovered by Sir Walter Raleigh, you know. He, and he sent it over to England from the colonies. And uh, it seems to me the uses of tobacco aren't obvious right off the bat, you know? And I imagine a phone conversation between Sir Walter Raleigh and the head of the West Indies Company in, in England uh, explaining about the shipment of tobacco that he had just sent over. I, I think it would go something like this. Yeah, who, who is it, Mary? Sir Walter Raleigh from the colonies. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, put them on, will you? Uh, uh, Harry? Yeah, you want to pick up the extension? It's it's uh, Nutty wall again. <laughs> 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 hi, hi, Walt, baby. How are you, guy? Uh, how's, how's everything going? I think things are fine here, Walt. D- did we get the what? The, uh, the boatload of turkeys. Yeah, they, they arrive fine, Walt. Uh-huh. Uh, as a matter of fact, they're still here, Walt and They're wandering all over London, as a matter of fact <laughs> uh, See, that's, uh, that's an American holiday, Walt uh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. but, What is it this time, Walt? You, you got another winner for us, uh, do you? tobacco <laughs> what's tobacco wall it, it's a kind of leaf and you bought 80 tons of it <laughs> uh, let me get this straight now well, you you bought 80 tons of leaves <laughs> it's, uh This may come as kind of a surprise to you, Walt, but uh, uh, come fall in England here, we're kind of up to our, uh... (laughs) It it isn't that kind of leap. What is it, a a special food of some kind, is it, Walt? Not exactly. It has a lot of different uses. Uh, Like, what are some of the uses, Walt? Are, are you saying snuff, Walt? What's, what's snuff? You, you take a pinch of tobacco <laughs> and you shove it up your nose. <laughs> and it makes you sneeze, huh? <laughs> I, I, I imagine it would, well, yeah. <laughs> See, uh, uh, goldenrod seems to do it pretty well over here, Wal. Right? <laughs> it, it has some other uses, though. You, you can chew it <laughs> or put it in a pipe or, or you can shred it up and put it on a piece of paper and roll it up <laughs> don't, don't tell me Walt, don't, don't tell me <laughs> you, you stick it in your ear right Walt <laughs> <laughs> all, all between your lips, Walla. <laughs> then what do you do to it?
2: <laughs> you set fire to it, Walla. <laughs>
0: then, then what do you do, Walla? You inhale the smoke. uh-huh <laughs> you know, Walt, it seems offhand like you can stand in front of your fireplace and they have the same thing going for you, you know <laughs> See, Walt, uh, we've been a little worried about you, you know <laughs> Ever since you put your, your, your cape down over that mud, you know <laughs> See, Walt, I, I think you're going to have kind of a tough time uh, selling people on sticking burning leaves in their mouth <laughs> It's going very big over there, is it? What's the matter, Walt? You spilt your what? Your coffee What's, what's coffee, Walt? <laughs> that's, that's a drink you make out of beans, huh? <laughs> that, that's going over very big there too, is it? A lot of people have the coffee right after their first cigarette in the morning huh? Is that what you call the burning leaves, Walt? Cigarettes? Uh-huh I'll tell you what, Walt why don't you send us a boatload of those beans too <laughs> if you can talk people in, into putting those burning leaves in their mouth, they gotta go for those beans Walt <laughs>
2: right.
0: and listen Walt don't call us we'll call you <laughs> right Walt Goodbye.
2: Goodbye. this was
8: another comedy spotlight on the Tom
5: Sumner program
2: some day
8: transmittable contagious awful virus and if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until july a superb and transmittable contagious awful virus and if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better <coughs> Now back in 1918, influenza had its run, but half the dots were busy overseas with World War One. Today we have mass media and scientists to say If you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. Super damn important that we practice isolation, cause we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. Will overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilised Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us In a stretch of quarantine, the lesson to rely a superbad super bad, transmittable, super bad, transmittable super Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus.
3: Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjik. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.